Welcome to the Organic Wine Podcast. Hello, this is Adam Huss coming to you from Los Angeles. Thanks for listening. My guest for this episode is Zaytuna Custo. Zaytuna is the managing sommelier at Esther's Wine Shop in Santa Monica, California. Zaytuna exemplifies what I think are some of the best qualities in wine sales. Someone who listens carefully and doesn't impose their own preferences and judgments on what others want. This has led Zaytuna to have some unique and interesting perspectives and observations on wine. And I think this conversation will give everyone something to think about, react against, and be both challenged and entertained by. I always enjoy talking with Zaytuna, which should be apparent from this interview. And I hope you'll be as charmed and delighted as I clearly was. Enjoy. Zaytuna, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for coming. It's been great uh, getting to know you. And I wanted to talk to you because I think you have a really interesting perspective on the wine industry. Can you can, can you tell a little bit about yourself? Like, wh- where'd you come from? And, and where are you now? So, yeah, I have a bit of a long and um, kind of an interesting background uh, with this industry. Um, so my father's side of the family, uh, my grandfather's name was Tom Feeney, and he was a grower in Santa Rosa. Um, and we sold to Deloach and Sonoma Contraire, William Selyam, Gurgage Hills, bunch of, bunch of big, big houses in sure. uh, Sonoma County um, in the 90s. And um, we, uh, you know, that was just a part of my Kind of upbringing uh just spending my summers at my dad's house because my mom lived down in southern california so i grew up down here but i would go up to my dad's you know a couple times a year and then spend the whole summer up there and as a part of like earning my keep I, as it were um i'd have to work in the vineyards um every summer and uh which a lot of people when they hear that about me, they think, oh, that's so cool. You got to do this like really amazing thing. And I'm like, let me tell you something. It's like child labor. When you're 12 years old, like (laughs) hoeing weeds in the hot sun and like tying baby vines, uh, you know, all day on 500 acres. It's just, you know, and you're, you're not like fast enough to like keep up with the actual workers. So they put you on special projects that you know you're doing by yourself so there's no camaraderie <laughs> um, there's just right, you're just alone right. i'm just like sitting there with my like cd player and you know <laughs> trying to just pass the day as quickly as i can listening to like whatever i'm listening to when i'm like 14 and <laughs> uh it, you know it wasn't fun and yeah. um so i didn't really have any love I... for it uh, just oh, as a side, I, I heard a farmer, a, a farmer once cautioned other farmers by saying that I, I, I overheard and, and they were like, never deceive yourself into thinking that farming is romantic. He's like, let your con- customers believe it's as romantic as the day is long, but you should never, just never be confused that it is romantic. Um, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Not at all. So, but but you, I did the, get to learn how to drive a tractor. I learned how to like arc weld. I, you know, there was some fun things. And when I got a little bit older, I took on more of like an apprenticeship type role. And I actually like 
learned things, wasn't just doing manual labor. So that was pretty, uh, you know, that was pretty cool. But then um, I was like 16 or, or 17 or something. And I had my driver's license suspended for one reason or another. And my dad was uh, driving me to school one day and he just asks me, uh, do you think you'll want to carry on the family business one day? And of course I'm 17 or 16 and all I care about is, you know, sex, drugs and rock and roll. And, you know, I don't want to be a farmer. So I'm like, no, I don't want to carry on the family business. I have no desire to be a farmer or anything like that. So he sold everything. So my family like no longer does any of that. Plus my dad doesn't drink and, um, you know, it was really his dad sort of thing. So it wasn't really a passion for him. And then um, I moved to New York when I was 18 um, to pursue acting. And while I was out there, you know, I had just a bunch of side jobs working in bars. You know, I got a bartending job when I was 18 and, um, you know, then I moved to Queens and got a job at a, like a Korean liquor store, um, that was below the apartment I lived, uh, lived in and, you know, kind of worked my way up from like the basement and the cellar there and to the sales floor and sort of just over the years, you know, worked my way up into management positions in different wine shops and restaurants and, we now joined a couple blind tasting groups and did that pretty religiously for a long time. And, you know, now um, I live in L.A., uh, so kind of back to where I near where I grew up. And uh, I grew up in Orange County predominantly. And um, I'm now the managing sommelier at Esther's Wine Shop and Bar in Santa Monica, which is a really, you know, prestigious wine bar with a really extensive burgundy uh seller list and I manage the whole wine list there and I act as a floor som and do all sorts of stuff. And, uh, you know, it's been kind of an interesting full circle for me. And, uh, you're like now at the point in your life where you're wishing you'd said yes to your dad back then. Back yeah. The but I don't know if I'd <laughs> want to live in Santa Rosa, but <laughs> right. you know, I'd be yeah. kind of had to be married to that place. Um, yeah. but yeah, I mean, there's well, a part like, of me that wants to be a farmer now. Like well, I, after definitely... spending so long in cities, I'm getting a little burnt out on city life. <laughs> well, it's definitely like a note to any parent who has, you know, a family business. Like, don't take your kids seriously. Don't ask them a serious question at age 17. You know what they're thinking about. It's not the family business. Like, No. <laughs> um, but that's great. It sounds like they were pretty cool in, in uh, just getting you out in the field and not not treating you with kid gloves, so to speak. Yeah, uh, yeah. They... I mean, you know, in retrospect, I really resented my dad for it for a long time. But in retrospect, it helped me a lot. Um, like... I mean, even getting some of those first jobs I had, I was able to kind of use that as like a cudgel to just work my way and be like, oh, well, you know, I might not have any experience, but I actually grew up on a vineyard. So (laughs) you'd be a fool not to hire me. (laughs) So in my blood, wine's in my blood. I've literally used that cliche line in (laughs) in like job cover letters, you know. A uh, long time ago, so it worked. So why, <laughs> <laughs> so why, why, what was the family's interest in in wine, and and I mean, how did that come down through the years? Like, how did how did they end up as farmers 
up in San Jose. My, my grandfather just fell in love with it, I think. I mean, he was, you know, I, I mean, he started off doing insurance, but, you know, I think he bought at, I think he bought back in like the 70s or 80s um, at a really good time. And mm. he just, uh, you know, he was a big wine lover and, you know, loved Zinfandel and Pinot and, he had we had these amazing like hundred year old Zin plants on our front yard, like those head trained, oh, wow. just yeah. tree trunk gorgeous plants that have super low yields. Um, oh, wow. And I remember just going out as a kid and just eating the berries, uh, you know, <laughs> in October and stuff like that. And I, <laughs> I have like a bit of a fondness for for that sort of stuff at this point. Just the now the what, what part of that. Just like, you know, like, you know, you live in LA, so it's, uh, you know, yeah. it's not like you're surrounded by nature. Although I've been trying to get into some urban foraging as much as I can, you know, marking on a little map, like where the, the loquat trees are and stuff like that. But, <laughs> yeah. you know, like there's something, there's something really, like you said, like romantic and, and just cool about, you know, this agricultural product that you are cultivating and it's growing right in your front yard and then it's ending up in people's wine glasses you know um it's it, it was it was a pretty interesting experience for me that's awesome well you you have to come visit our place by the way which um i don't know if i've told you about it but we have we have that going on here so you got to come yeah you said you have some vines in the front yard right yeah, and the whole yard is, we're, you know, we're surrounded by sort of, I mean, we've turned the whole thing into a permaculture food and wine garden, basically. So it's you know, like, there's over, I don't know, like there's a couple dozen different fruiting things, trees and cacti and vines and all kinds of stuff like that. And then gardens and herbs and, you know, sugar cane. It's like the whole thing is edible, basically. Um, I love that. Chicken, chickens and we've had bees we don't have bees currently but we're waiting for some to move back in it's just a it's a bad time for bees with drought they don't they don't uh, they know when the drought's here and they don't replicate they don't reproduce as much so there aren't yeah. as many wild hives out there but yeah you gotta come you gotta come and... i well, i'd love to i'm i love that philosophy too i like i i love the idea of like gorilla gardening and just turning like every little piece of like a you know, like a sidewalk or, you know, in between streets and stuff into edible. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. You, you, well, it sounds like you have a, a, a pretty, um, you know, like revolutionary approach to a lot of things from, yeah. from what I little I know. Um, and, and I want to get into that. You're so Esther's is part of the, the Rustic Canyon group, right? Yes, is it is. Correct. Yes. Right. Which is a really great group. I, I mean, the food is great. The wine is great. The values seem to be great. Um, you know, can you talk a little bit about what you guys do there in the shop? Yeah. Um, so w it's funny because we sort of just changed our cuisine quite a bit. Uh, we have a new chef. Um, so the food now is much more French-leaning California Santa Monica food uh, farmers market. Um, right. So, and before it was a little bit more eclectic, and now the menu is a little more focused and fine tuned. And I really like our new menu. Um, now, the Rusty Canyon group itself is all very 
farm to table, farmer's market, Santa Monica local driven in general, um, which I think is something really important. They're very big on supporting organic farming. Um, Everything that we bring in at Esther's for wine um, is organic um, at the minimum. Um, We try to have things that are biodynamic, natural, um, dry farmed. Um, You know, we carry some of your wines, as you know. We love your stuff. Um, and Double yeah. Uh, you know, uh, <laughs> we have a lot of, I would say our, I mean, if you're out on our shelves, it's a pretty eclectic mix. It does lean pretty heavily old world with a good amount of like kind of new wave, like, you know, California stuff as well. Um, but then half of our wine list is in the cellar and that's mostly burgundy. Like we're a huge burgundy shop. Um, and it's a cool model because we're not just a restaurant and a bar, but we're also a retail shop. So you can, you know, anything that you taste by the glass, you can buy a bottle of by the, you know, take home. So, and for me living in New York for so long, that's not, um, something you can do there. And so that, that concept was really appealing to me, especially having worked in retail and restaurants. It was a really nice marriage of the two. That's great. Well, I mean, I, I can attest that the selection is awesome. The food is really good. And, uh, I, you know, part of the reason, the reason, the the moment that I decided I, I really wanted to interview you, I mean, because we've known each other a little while now, and I right. obviously like you, and we get along. But it was, you know, we brought friends in to eat and drink, and you talked to, you, you asked, uh, you're, you're basically taking our wine orders, you know, what we want to drink. And my friend, uh, you know, said, you know, he was like, I'll have, he, you know, like he treated, treated it like he was in a typical place. He was like, I'll have your Chardonnay or whatever. Like, didn't even look at the menu kind of thing. I mean, and that's, you know, I, I'm not criticizing him at all for that. It was just, mm-hmm. you know, he's, he, that's where he was. He didn't know anything about Esther's. Um, I invited him there. He didn't know. And and you, like, gave a really good answer where you sort of, like, uh, were like, well, okay, we have two. And you you put, you put asked him some really good questions and listened to him really well and identified, like, what he would like in a really nice way. Like, and he was absolutely happy with what you suggested. And I just thought that kind of approach to service was is is unfortunately somewhat rare in wine um yeah i I agree and and it it was you know you weren't you were meeting him where he was basically he was just like and and that's all you cared about like you weren't trying to you know challenge him or or even you know worse than that judge him or you know trying to make him feel like he should be ordering something else or that your selection was like we, you know, something that wasn't just Chardonnay or what, you know, like so. There's so many ways you could have reacted and you didn't. Like you just were, like it was, yeah, it was really lovely. Um, I'm sure he wasn't even aware of it, and I think that was also what was beautiful about the interaction that you, you know, how you just sort of met him where he was, and that was great. Um, so that's a big compliment to you and i and i think i wanted to ask about where that came from like how come how how did that develop in your uh, approach to customer service i mean part of it's that i've just been doing it a long time 
and I spent <laughs> a lot of, I, you know, I just spent a lot of time talking to different people. But I think there is like, um, there's it's like a Rosetta Stone when you talk to people about mm. wine, yeah, because not right. everyone has like the lexicon that people in the industry have to express what they like. Right. So part of your job as a psalm is like to learn Interpret. to understand what people are trying to tell you. <laughs> you know, <laughs> right. when when people give you conflicting things, like people will be like, I want a full bodied Pinot Noir or something like that. Or, right, or, right, you know. right. Yeah. But, or yeah really... but you know what I mean? Like people will yeah. say people will say things that like kind of would make your head scratch and your job's not to correct them. It's to be like, they're not wrong in what they're looking for. You just have to like find, it's like, you know, you have to find the Rosetta Stone. You have to find the language that they're, you have to come to their level where they're coming from. Otherwise you're going to alienate them. And I have a big problem with like the wine industry being, you know, kind of gate kept and, and exclusionary. And um, I don't want it to be like that. I don't want anyone to ever feel judged or that, they don't deserve good wine because they don't know, you know, who Dennis Bachelet is or something. Uh, you know, I, I just like, don't like, I don't care that they aren't like, you know, master Psalms. Like I, I want people <laughs> to have good wine because the more people drink good wine, more good wine will be made, you know, like yeah. the more people are drinking stuff like that you're producing the less yellowtail and barefoot will be you know being pumped <laughs> out yes yes um well i you, i mean the gatekeeping thing is now something you brought up twice have you experienced that in your own career or in your own life uh with the wine industry i mean not to me directly but i oh, mean i good. see it all the time you know yeah. I, I see i see people like when i go out and how people talk to other people about wine i mean people don't I, you know when i go out and purchase wine for myself or you know it doesn't really happen to me but I, I see i see it all the time like the way people judge and i mean you see reflexive uh reactions too about how customers order wine and how they don't want to be judged so people have learned what they think are the, t the insider tips you know where they're like i want a dry wine you know, I, it's not sweet, right? Things like that. Right. Um, oh, I want a natural wine, uh, you know, where they think they have like a piece of inside information because they don't want to be perceived as as like ignorant because I think there's a status thing about wine in general. And, you know, if you know about wine, it says something about you. And I, I just don't like the idea that people need to feel like, they have to give me these qualifiers to get something tasty. Yeah, no, it's, it's true. I mean, even, I mean, there's so many ways we could talk about that, I, but I, I know that you in particular have brought up to me this, this really becomes noticeable to you. All of these things that you just mentioned when it comes to off dry wines. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> um, What's the deal with off dry wines? <laughs> People hate off dry wines and for not the reasons that they think. And that's right. My, this is my thesis. So this is my and maybe it's not that hot of a take. Maybe it is a hot take. But I think that 
um, most people's distaste for off dry wines. When people come in, I swear to God, I get the question like five times a day. It's not sweet, right? It's not sweet, right? Give me your your driest white, which like is what does that mean? Like I don't even like how do you answer that? But <laughs> you know, which is what I was talking about earlier. It's like you have to kind of like what are they right. really asking for, and you kind of have to just ignore that and get to the root of what they're really looking for. But anyway, um, it, I think it comes from a lot of different things, but mostly it's that. I think there's an association with off dry wines being seen as cheap. Um, And there's a racial component to it. I think because people think of off dry wines, they think of like Moscato and stuff like that. And that's predominantly associated with like people of color in like hip hop videos in the nineties. And uh, I think that's a huge reason why like middle-class white people who drink wine don't want to drink things that are off dry, even though the wine, it might be really delicious, like a nice, like fine herb Riesling, uh, you know, which is like what I love to drink all the time, Um, (laughs) you know, but they won't touch it because to them, that's the same thing as drinking what, you know, uh, someone in a hip hop video is drinking or, I mean, and and it's subconscious. And I also think there's a misogynist element to it too, where it's like sweet things or fruity things where it's like, oh, I don't want like a fruity drink. I want something real earthy and like, you know, I want something that just tastes like dirt and rocks. I don't want no frilly drink. Like, I I think that's like a a real, a legitimate thing. Like, I think people don't want. It's like code for saying I don't want a girly drink. It's a code for saying I don't want a girly drink. And then, you know, you get, yeah, so... I just, yeah, it's very much, I think, a sociological reason why people have an aversion to off-dry wines um, and not because they actually don't like the taste of them. Um, yeah, that's that's pretty much it. I, I think it you could really, you could blind taste people on Peter Lauer barrel X Riesling every day and 99 out of 100 people would say it's delicious. And then if you told them that it's, <laughs> an off dry wine, you know, they, they would be shocked. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and meanwhile, every like both sales stats as well as everything stats show that at least American consumers, number one, love residual, lots of residual sugar in their quote unquote dry wines. Um, and, and prefer actually, you know, like out of the context of judgment in a wine, buying atmosphere prefer off dry wines like prefer a wine with a little sweetness to it like right i mean but they just don't look... want to be known that they do right <laughs> exactly <laughs> uh that is that is uh that's wow yeah that that is revealing um they just they don't want to because it's seen as like lower class it's like embarrassing for them you know people see it as embarrassing and i see it all the time it's like this like it's not sweet right it's like a pearl clutching moment you know, like they're, <laughs> it's like, like they're really there. There's like this real, like, you don't judge me. I don't drink that stuff. I drink good wines. I drink dry wines. So I know what right. I'm talking about. And because you're a wine professional, you'll respect me because I know the word dry. Like, it's, and it's like, I respect you so much less because you said that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, 
you know, this is this can be very liberating for for those of us who might get a stuck fermentation now. We'll just be like, you know what? Um, Zaytuna said we should just bottle it like this. <laughs> like, Do it. It's gonna be... <laughs> yeah, I love just it. Just don't um, don't tell anyone. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> it was a dry attempted wine. How about that? Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> just didn't quite get there. Uh, I love that. <laughs> um, but you have some you 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 uh you have some other thoughts. What what are some things that you care deeply about in wine now? Uh, sure. Right now? I mean, things that have been on my mind lately are like, okay, people are drinking too much orange wine. I'm just really tired <laughs> of it. Um, people so don't know what natural wine is, <laughs> and uh, I'm. What do you mean by that? Just people just like, don't know what the word natural wine means. Like, like, like the, the average can, natural wine, like the average person that comes in and asks for it doesn't really yes, know they just think why it they're asking for it. wine that's not going to give them a hangover. Oh, interesting. Okay. The, oh, natural wine. That doesn't give you hangovers, right? Like that's, <laughs> I get that. You've heard that for time. real? Really? Oh my God. Every day. Wow. Do yeah, people, every, do people every ever get technical about it? Like. Like, do, does, do you ever get the question of, like, how many parts per million SO2 does it have? <laughs> I mean, no, no one's talking okay. to me about native yeasts. <laughs> really? Okay. That, no. Okay. So it's, um, more, it's, it's more like a category that has a reputation that they think is desirable for something that's completely unrelated to why that category was created in reality. Yes, because it's become a trend. And oh, it's like, amazing. I don't... It's like, I don't, and I don't think it's like inherently bad or good because on the positive side of it, I do think it's created a lot of new wine drinkers. Um, like yeah. a lot of people who probably were beer drinkers um, or, or otherwise drink other things have now, you know, kind of started getting into wine and natural wine is a good gate, a good entry point because it's, you know, doesn't necessarily cost a lot of money. Um and it's approachable. It's glue glue. And, you know, uh, I also think the flip side is that a lot of what we call natural wine is flawed and gets passed off as good wine. And, you know, we'll have just like volatile acidity or mousiness. And uh, like, I don't, I don't like that. That's becoming like kind of an industry standard for what natural wine is like natural wine is supposed to have a taste like rather than like that's what i mean where it's like natural wine is becoming like a style of wine rather than a process of wine making right. and you know oh, it has to come in a clear bottle and you know have no foil around the top or be you know like it's just there's just like all these things that i mean yeah. you see it with like a lot of big names in natural wine who i'm not going to name and um you know, I just think it's getting a little repetitive. Mm. I, and I'm, I'm guessing, you know, this is the way of any trend and that there's probably like, uh, you know, a, a, a spec, like a there's a bell curve to the interest that will be paid to that, you know, like we're and we're probably peaking right now or close to peaking. And then there's there's going to be a downside, I'm guessing, you know, just naturally, I, you know. I, that's my guess. I don't know. Do you have a thought or do you think this is an ongoing? Will it? Will I think we, we got at least another year of it. Do we, will we be? Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, I think 
yeah when i say peaking i mean it could I'm, i could even see it going longer than that but yeah maybe you know year to five <laughs> yeah. um but, but do you think i mean or do you th- so maybe this is a better question do you think that there are do you think that the generation because i feel like it's a bit generational or, or i don't know like maybe that's a better question is it generational from the people that are coming in and, and buying it at esters do you see a single generation predominantly buying it or is it cross-generational it's it definitely leans more um young yeah that, that, that was doesn't my, that yes. doesn't mean that there aren't people who are older drinking natural wine but it definitely skews young are you seeing people being converted like wholeheartedly or you see people who are coming in and have heard about it want to try it and they're like oh, okay you know and then they go back to their normal habits or are you seeing okay so these are like you know i'm giving you multiple options like maybe this is c now is like maybe a whole generation is being converted to this sort of style and they're gonna be acclimated to things like va and and mouse and those aren't gonna bother them at all and so they're gonna continue that kind of wine consumption the rest of their life yes and i really hope that's not the case to be honest but (laughs) But uh, I think that I think that there is a large contingency of people who are natural wine drinkers in the same way that there are people who are just beer drinkers or like whiskey drinkers. Like that's just that's what they drink. Yeah, Um, there are people who are converts and there are people who would be like, I like natural wine, but I'll also drink something classic, which is like that's like my favorite type of customer. Like I enjoy natural wine, too. I drink natural wine like I, I I have some. But like, I'm also not gonna not drink like Michel Lafarge or you know a, some other super nice Burgundy or a grower Champagne or something. I just think it's I think it's just dogmatic and close minded. And you mean you will you you will drink all of that? I'll drink everything. Yeah, I'll drink anything that's well made. <laughs> I'll drink anything yeah. that's and I don't think a wine has to be natural to be well made. Yeah. Okay. Do you want to? expound at all on that i mean i just think that you know it i don't think it it's required to have and when i say to to be natural i don't mean like i prefer wines to i prefer wines to be made without pesticides and to be made hand harvested and you know with better farming practices don't get me wrong but that doesn't mean that you can't like some of the best Rieslings in Mosul are not made organically, you know, and some of the best mm-hmm. champagnes are not made organically. They just can't do it. And uh, I mean, some and some are and there are great ones that are. But I just like I'm not going to not drink it because they're not following a narrow definition. And I don't think that at the end of the day, what matters to me is the product that they're putting out there. And that matters more. I mean, I care more about, okay, I, I like to use Stoltman as an example. Yeah. Um, Stoltman Winery in Santa Barbara. Great example. Yeah. Um, they make natural wine, but that's the thing I care the least about, about them. They make yeah. natural wine and do all that, but they also have like the best labor practices of like any winery I know of. And like that's stuff I care more about and the wine tastes good. So if they weren't natural, but we're still putting out wine that tastes like it does and they're paying their workers salary year round and giving them full health benefits, 
to me, that's more of a success than, you know, most natural wineries. And, and they also do, I mean, they're natural, they, they have a natural line, I should say, but they also have a more sort of, I don't know what you'd call it, like a traditional Traditional, or classic, yeah. yeah, like more traditional line of wines as well that, you know, that has, was their bread and butter before they sort right. of embraced embraced natural wines uh, with the with that other line like the Lovey Bunches wine and every mm-hmm. that line of things. Um, yeah, that's a great example. I mean, I think they're also farming pretty darn well as well. At least they've started to more recently. Um, yeah, they do you know, a lot they, of dry they, farming and yeah, yeah, and uh, and organic farming and everything uh, aligned with that as well. Where do you see wine headed right now? Do you see any other trends? Uh, just from working with the public and, you know, do you see things that are being asked for that aren't out there yet? Well, aside from the orange wine trend, which right now is obviously the huge thing, um, I think Piquet is going to be a big thing that comes it's, along. It's sort of like White Claw in a bottle, isn't it? Yeah. I mean... And like, just like low a- <laughs> low ABV stuff in general, like, yeah. you know, Verjus and... Yeah. I think that's going to be kind of a thing that's going to be start becoming more available um, when it gets dialed in and people start making it good, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I've yet I mean, to had a Piquette that is convincingly great to be, to be honest. Um, but I think it's only a matter well, of time till someone cracks the code. So. Right. But I mean, maybe great isn't what it's, therefore you know it was never yeah, meant to true. be great right like it's it's meant to be the bud light of wines you know it's like i mean it really yeah. is like the white claw it's like the party you know like it's just the the water at the wine party <laughs> you know um like yeah we've got a seltzer it's got a little alcohol in it here <laughs> yeah have it on ice um you know just that sort of refreshing thing that's a nice fun beverage you know nothing no thought needed basically um yeah, yeah it, so yeah, go on. Sorry. I, well, yeah. Know. I mean, I think that's I think that's probably going to be some of the next stuff to catch on. Um, I would like to see people, and I try to encourage people, especially people who are um, into like who are new to wine, and a lot of people who are new to wine are into natural wines, is what I've found. And I try yes. to hmm. give them, you know, a balanced perspective and be like. I think it's great to like that stuff, but I think you should also try, you know, something classic too. I would just say don't have a closed mind. So I wouldn't mind seeing a revival in classic either, um, to be honest. that That's that's the stuff I really love, um, the stuff I learned about first. And, you know, will that become a trend again? I don't know. Probably not, but I well, can dream. Well, I mean, you do have... <laughs> I mean, I think there is this, um, there is this middle ground and, and, you know, I mean, people like, uh, you know, the most obvious for me is somebody like Steve Mathiason, who was never a score chaser, even though he grows grapes that go into hundred point Cabernets from Napa, the way he makes his wine will never get a hundred points, you know, like he's just not chasing those scores. Um, but you know, so it's, you know, it's that quality of farming and he farms organically, but he's also not a natural winemaker. I mean, I, you know, I don't think anybody would accuse him of that. Like it's, his wines are, are technically perfect, you know, uh, and 
I mean that in the best way. I don't mean like in a, a purist sense, but I just mean he like ensures that they go into the bottle stable and un- without flaws, you know, without detectable right. notes right. of things. And um, and and I think there's other people like him as well. But his, you know, his alcohols like on Napa cabs are 13 percent. And that's just unheard of today. But like we have the natural wine pendulum sort of swinging, swinging the consuming public way out beyond that you know to like 11 percent napa cabs you know um yeah. if, if anybody was making wine from napa cab as a natural wine like that um and and i think at the end of the day like it might swing back and steve will still be standing you know and and be the stronger for it because you know it'll it, it's that sort of just a classic style that you know it's the end steve i use him as a as a just a metaphor for everyone who's doing that you know sort of uh, taking that middle path because you like you said i mean i think on the one end everything tastes the same and on the other end everything tastes the same you know like you're it either tastes like a like an an oak barrel and super extracted juice or you know it tastes like va and mouse and or you know or like kombucha um on the other end and then in the middle you have oh like a window into terroir you know like you have this beautiful trans you know like a like a transparent wine in the sense not transparent visually but transparent in the sense that you can see all the way back to its place of origin and it's yeah and it's a unique delicious thing that you just has these depths of layers that you you can learn about and feel connected to a real life like place <laughs> i don't know i don't know that's not the most elegant way to express that but no um, i know what you mean yeah as, as opposed to you know the other ends of the spectrum and i don't know so uh, yeah i'm throwing that out there as a maybe maybe that's maybe that will happen i don't know do you see that happening i think that would be nice i mean it's the thing <laughs> is it's like out of my control yeah you know? what do you I, look I, for in wine i mean you said uh riesling you're drinking a lot of riesling what, what what is it that you like about that like what is what 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 appeals to you why why do you why are you in love with that complexity they're easy to drink um at the same time <laughs> like easy like they're easy to drink but they make you think uh you know yeah like they're just they're i don't know there's something about riesling that is just uh ephemeral and beautiful and no two are quite alike and you know they're they're just challenging and simple at the same time like they're just they're awesome but what what i look for in wine is i like wines to be you know intentionally crafted like that so i don't like i don't want a wine just to be grapes that are just crushed and thrown in a bottle like i you know i want there to be some thought behind it i i think of it as you know it needs to be like it I'm not into abstract expressionism as a form of art. And I don't like my wine to look like a Jackson Pollock. Um, I I want it to be, it can be abstract, but you know, in the way that like Picasso is abstract, like it needs to have composition. And I I want a wine to have balance and structure and, and, you know, is it like, it needs to have a point. Like, is this wine supposed to be acidic? Is it supposed to be, tannic is it supposed to be creamy is it supposed to be you know plummy what whatever um and not just random you know i i just don't like inarticulate wine 
Um, mm. I like wine that has a purpose and a point and a good story. I always appreciate a good story. Um, you know, uh, like I'm very intrigued by winemakers with cool backgrounds. And, you know, I mean, that's part of what I love about you guys. I always love to recommend you guys. I just think it's awesome that you make wine in LA. Um, and, uh, you know, and I think your wine is uh, thoughtful. Like, I, I just think wine should be thoughtful and shouldn't just be because then it just even if it's because then if it's natural wine and people are just making it to make it, then it just seems like it's just they're making it to make a buck. Like, and then how is it any different than Yellowtail? You know, if they're just throwing it in a bottle to see and seeing what happens I, I, at the end of the day, then it's just is it just about the production and just getting the bottles out there like it, that just feels cheap to me. Yeah, I, I, I hear that. Um, yeah, I have that the way you started to describe the wine that you like, it kind of kind of reminds me of like when you meet somebody who, who who's kind of quiet and unassuming, you know, maybe just like a, a very uh, reserved personality. Um, and and then they make a comment that's really like wicked funny. And you're just like, wait a minute, like there's something going on here. And then you ask them a question and their answer is really thoughtful. And now you're just like, okay, now I want to get to know you. Like there's clearly hidden depths here. And I, I, that sort of easy drinking complexity is what made me think of that, where you, you take a sip of wine, you're like, oh, this is delicious. You know, it's like nice. It just goes down easy. And then take another sip and you're like, wait a minute. Like this is, this is better. Like this, this feels, there's something going on here. <laughs> like um, that kind of. Yeah. It's like you can think about it if you want to, but you don't have to. You can right, just right. enjoy it. And just, you know, it's a sensory experience or you can analyze the hell out of it and it can continue to riddle you and tease you and be an adventure. You know, that's what I like. Now, did you, this is kind of a random question. Did you have any, uh, did you have to do any formal training certification? Have you done any of that? I have not actually up until this point, but I actually today just, um, signed up and oh i just had to test into uh w set level three um because i didn't do levels one and two so i had to take a test to see if i could be in level three so and i passed and i'm starting my w set three this summer where do you see yourself heading what's what's next for you what's happening in your life right now you know eventually it's i mean it's so wide open i don't i don't know i there's definitely like i said a part of me that loves the idea of making wine um and working with the land and being maybe less face-to-face with people um or face-to-face with people in a different way um and maybe that's the direction i'll head uh with my career at some point but i don't know if that's going to happen anytime in the, the near future uh just but it's it's definitely something that i think about and kind of romanticize about but you know i also don't want to leave the city or anything like that and at least not anytime soon but you know it's kind of like oh it'd be cool to have a small little winery and tasting room in you know willamette valley or something let me ask you a controversial question is okay is pinot noir Noir really that interesting (laughs) um i think it is i think it's a very malleable grape 
uh-huh. I don't think it's the most interesting grape, but I think it is very interesting. It's certainly probably one of the most interesting red wine varietals, though. Um, I, I think it has the cachet and hype for a reason. I get uh-huh. it. It's not just sideways. It's not just sideways. Um, I do think that movie was unfairly damaging to Merlot, which I think is a fine yeah. varietal. Um, yeah, well, I mean, but... look, if I can go off on a small little artistic tangent. It, Please. It, the, you know, yes, Miles disparaged Merlot, right? But the wine, the central wine, his the, like 64 Cheval Blanc is a 50-50 blend of, of the two two grapes that he disparaged in the movie cab franc and merlot and there's this element and it's his most precious possession which he like you know when he finally guzzles it within and out at the end and out of a styrofoam cup or whatever yeah it sort of shows his transformation and you know his his growth as a person we i think we hope maybe if there is any growth for him yeah um is letting go of some of that pretense and letting go of of the you know some of the things that hold him back and and it's funny that you know i mean in a lot of ways it it was used really effectively as a metaphor if you understand anything about wine because you know clearly these two things that represent him so closely and that he holds so near and dear to his heart are the things that he disparages so there's obviously he's a self-loathing character yeah self-loathing uh, yeah. yeah and so that you know but these metaphors of of film which were used really effectively just became translated literally to the viewing public and Pino became king and Merlot like literally like 40% of California's vineyards were ripped up or something in the oh, years yeah, following. Um, and, and it, yeah. And it's, you know, and, and yet it was like one of the, you know, anyway, it's, it's a be- like, I think the message is that I would like to spread is don't be prejudiced in any way in life, especially about the grape variety. Um, <laughs> but, and then we won't end up with, you know, Merlot hating, Pinot drinking, whatever, um, out of whack. But sorry, you were mid-tangent about Pinot. Well, yeah, and- I just, I don't <laughs> see how, to, to your point, though, it's like, I don't see how people have such attachment to one varietal or such disdain for one varietal. It's, they just, there's so much ways they can be different. Like, when someone's like, I only like Pinot Noir, or oh, I always hate pinot noir or something like that i'm like what that doesn't even make sense like they they just can taste totally different yeah like people just don't know what they're talking about yep i and i i mean this is a big thing for me too like one of the things that i've realized lately is i don't always need to express my opinion about a wine or my preferences about a wine i can just i i can just keep silent and nobody's really going to care what whether I speak or don't speak, but they might actually care if I speak and it might be better if I don't speak. Um, right. You know, it's, you know, it's, it's, yeah. I, I, and I mean, for me, obviously like wine, I'm sure this is for you. It's about exploration. I mean, like you, the, the variety is what's fun. I mean, I, I can also see a world where there was only one grape and we just got in, we like, just totally geeked out on how that grape tastes in every different corner of the planet, grown different ways, made in different ways. And you could make a million different wines from the same grape, but then you add in, you know, like a hundred, a couple hundred different grape varieties and the the possibilities are limitless. Like there are worlds of wine to explore. And 
and lands to taste through the lens of wine. Um, yeah. What 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 other wine drinking habits do you have? Do you, can you can you give us any tidbits from being on the inside of this industry? What 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 do we need to know to to uh, to seem smart when we come into your shop? Um, I just like you know I think the best customer is a customer with an open mind uh, yeah. who trusts in their the the psalm or whoever is selling them wine. So someone who's just like gives a little bit of direction, like. I, oh, I always start with some basic questions. I'm like, oh, can I help you with finding something today? And yeah, that'd be great. And I'm like, hey, looking for red, white, rosé, whatever. You know, then I always lead it and like, okay, you want something fuller body, lighter body, things like that. And then I just kind of narrow it down from there. But it's when people come in with the, like, I want uh, a, a big, bold Pinot Noir, you know, that's not I mean- sweet, but uh you know (laughs) you know with all these other qualifiers it's like just don't try to do too much like it's okay that you don't know like that that's that's really it like it's it's okay to not know it's okay to trust in someone else who knows more than you like if i was going to a mechanic i wouldn't you know i don't know what a carburetor is (laughs) like i'm not gonna try to like you know out game the person that's helping me uh so if that's that's if that if i can say anything it's that it's to have a little faith in the people you're shopping from i love that and i i, I mean you have of... to go to the right shop though because i guess maybe people have bad experiences but you know my shop is pretty good um well look are there any closing words or uh or or you know things that you would suggest for people who want to come in and experience esters or learn more about you in any other way um i definitely recommend people who live in la to come to esters um it's a really fun and relaxed place um everyone on our staff is really knowledgeable and unpretentious we really try to make you feel at home and uh feel you know unintimidated by our selection and that there is really a bottle for everyone on our shelves um Anything really good that it might be also a really good value right now in the shop? Uh, just just random wines, anything? Well, in Burgundy, let's say Burgundy uh, could be. Same I mean, I guess. Burgundy. Yeah. Simone B's always, always, always. Um, mm, you can get okay. great stuff from B's without having to spend a ton of money. Uh, Bachelet, who I mentioned earlier, too. Um, Gerard Mounieret, uh Michel Lafarge um arlo i mean there's just so many um the nice thing is like you can find them at different like it's like if if you're willing to go above a of a a threshold and this is why i drink less i just drink less and drink more better things yeah Yeah. i'll have less bottles per month and the bottles that i drink are just nicer but if you're like willing to spend over you know and get like a bottle that's over a hundred dollars i mean you can get a really solid burgundy and then just you know, don't drink like five bottles of twenty dollar wine. Yeah, really good point. That's just how I kind of game it out in my head. So, but yeah, I don't know. Maybe one day I'll have like a little workers co op vineyard and something like that. <laughs> I think there's a lot we can still do in LA. I mean, if we can convince some people to convert lawns to vineyards, we could have little like neighborhood, you know neighborhood 
avas or neighborhood con- like cooperatives wine cooperatives share what do you, what varietals do you think would do really well in la oh that's a great question well man you were talking about like i mean i just the way that your life has gone i i, I go down these rabbit holes and you know where i am i don't ever see myself planting anything that doesn't have some native genetics in it uh at this point in life because i because what I want to represent is, you know, something that's true to place. And also I want something that grows well without, you know, and has super strong genetics that are adapted yeah, to the place. So you don't have manipulating to it. it a ton. Yeah. You don't need chemical crutches, you know, even, even organic sprays. I mean, LA, like I'm, yeah, I, I think LA is one of the worst places for powdery mildew because it's a warm maritime climate. Um, mm-hmm. And, so, you know, our front yard vineyard, we're spraying something almost year round. Um, and so I'm like, I, you know, I start with stylet oil, I move to sulfur, and now I'm moving to cinerate, which is a cinnamon oil based uh, mildew, you know, a, a mild, mildicide, um, not mildicide, because organics aren't sidle but they're you know mildew prohibitor or whatever mildew disruptor um and then in after harvest uh i i i start doing compost teas in the winter because they're still or or in the late fall because like we never go dormant you know the vines just keep growing into december you have to like prune and strip leaves to get it to sort of shut down um in december and so you got this all this potential for mildew almost year round really right so have so again all that to answer the question of what would i grow and it would have some kind of adapted things like i i would love to go i don't know i mean i i don't think we've developed the grapes that i would like to grow but what what we have now <laughs> are some great hybrids i think um, um you know i i looked at somebody like matt niece who's growing up in up in uh up in the sonoma area uh growing hybrids and really doing a lot of great work with natives and hybrids and he has a list of stuff based on climate um and and he's like a great resource for stuff like that and that's probably who i'd t- turn to i'd go to him and be like hey man i'm gonna plant what do you suggest i'd probably do a, a variety of things um and see what does well and then start doing masal selections and just keep you know developing a local a local variety basically i mean i end end of the end of the day like i'd look to have something like i think the goal probably would be something along the lines of you know like like what happened in burgundy over thousands of years where you find you know the native grape that and just keep selecting it for better and better genetics and quality and yeah i mean and uh and you know resistance to all the natural things that are happening there drought and, and pests and whatever and and ultimately have like a, a a thing that just thrives because it's meant to be here you know um yeah. and that, i mean of course that won't happen in my lifetime but yeah i'd st- i'd want to start that process i guess whatever that grape would be or those grapes would be yeah do you want to uh is there is do you have any social media or anything you want to promote I have no social media. I'm a ghost. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> My only well, social media account is the All Trails app. Um, oh, nice! Hiking. That's awesome. That's so. Awesome. I do use the All Trails app. You can probably find me on there complaining about mislabeled trailheads. 
Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty much it. Oh, that was you. <laughs> yeah, that was me. Zaytuna, thank you so much for coming on and chatting with me. This is a lot of fun. Just to, hey, my just pleasure. Anytime. Brain. And uh, I do hope people come in and see you and um, get the pleasure of your your sommelier service at Esther's sometime soon. I I certainly want to, and I hope to see you, you know, and share some wine with you soon. Absolutely. Yeah, I want to come down and visit you guys soon. Awesome.